PR, Pro Cannabis Media. All right, welcome back to Green Rush Live on a Friday afternoon on Pro Cannabis Media. I'm the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, Jimmy Young. Happy to be joined this week and a lot of weeks by Josh Kincaid from Washington State. He does a regular show almost daily called The Talking Hedge, and you can check that out on YouTube as well. Josh, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Jimmy. Thanks. And I, and you probably just saw a clip that you were wondering, what the heck is going on in this clip? So that was Deborah Borchardt of the Green Market Report. She was moderating a panel at the Benzinga Cannabis Conference. I believe that was in Chicago this week. Mike Tyson was alongside. And somehow or other, somebody came up with a joint. And they passed it back and forth. And Deborah was all giddy that she had just gotten high with Mike Tyson. And you know what? As Mike keeps getting out there, by the way, I believe he was hanging out with uh, Robert Kraft at, at, at a football game recently. Uh, you you got to figure that there are more and more people smoking and hanging out with Mike Tyson. He's definitely a guy who gets out there and enjoys it, right? Uh, absolutely. All right. So let me, let me introduce the two people that are with us here today. One is Nikki John. She is the first female person of color to open a dispensary in Boston. It's the Heritage Club. You're in Charlestown. Boston, right? Yep, that's where we are, um, right off the rotary. And and as we, as many people from Boston like to say, Charlestown, Charlestown. I I grew up in the suburbs. I know to how, how to pronounce my R's, and I try to anyway as a former broadcaster. So Nikki John, thank you, and congratulations on opening. How big a relief is that? A huge one, yeah. Now we're. I didn't realize this was the starting line, but that was a good break, just getting it done. <laughs> There you go. And uh, also joining us uh, is Colton Griffin. He is the CEO of Flourish Software. Hello, Colton. How's it going? Tell us a little bit about Flourish Software. I'm uh, one of the leading software platforms serving the cannabis and hemp industries. We handle or we help our customers handle all their core inventory management and supply chain functions from cultivation through manufacturing extraction, uh, wholesale distribution. And then we, on the retail side, we, we do vertically integrated retail and multi-store retail. So a lot of, a lot of tech pulling it all together. Sounds like you're bigger than just one dispensary. Like Nikki just opened in Boston, right? We just launched our Jane integration at 47 dispensaries last week. So, um, uh, which was, uh, an impressive launch that went very smooth. Kudos to the team sides and the client. So, uh, yeah, we handle all sorts of all sorts of sizes and shapes across the country. And you're in Los Angeles, California, I think. Am I right? Yep. Sunny L.A., Venice. So we've got L.A., we've got Washington State and we've got Charlestown here in Boston. Okay, so that that's the Nikki, I want to ask you, um, how difficult was it for you to go through this process and how did you get access to the capital that you need? And did you feel like it was readily available? I know that's a heavy question. (laughs) Honestly, so quick and easy answer, yes. I felt like it was easy, but I feel like it shouldn't have been the easiest part. Um, The entire process, the politics um, was the hardest part and that's what made the financing easy. If there were less political barriers to entry, finance would be the number one. Um, And I did a friends and family round, a lot of networking. When I first started and did my first pitches, I got tons of offers, but they wanted 49%. And that was not going to work for me. So I stuck with it and I didn't take in any funds until after my provisional license about last December. So, yeah. Well, 
that it, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I, I've talked to a few people from your uh, operation there and they're, um, they're all outstanding. Oh boy, we are expanding our Zoom room as we speak here. Um, and I just want to make sure that uh, everybody is here. This is, I, I see Jeff Trotter is with us. Jeff, you are the C, it says CGO, Chief Growth Officer of Regenibus. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah, accurate. And tell me where you are and, and what you do, pal. <laughs> uh, San Francisco, California. And Regenibus is at the forefront of helping put ESG performance right in the middle of the cannabis industry. So I'll tell you more about that over the coming minutes. All right. Fair enough. And, and I'm pretty sure that's Brooke Westlake with us as well. She's with our Women in Cannabis Expo and all that. How are you, Brooke? You're muted. So don't say hello until you're unmuted. Hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to the show. So, you know, this is good because we have um, we have a woman uh, who champions women in cannabis in Brooke. Brooke, tell us about the Women in Cannabis Expo, what you do first. Go ahead. So the Women in Cannabis Expo, we are, have been hosting four shows this year, and our next one is in Las Vegas, Nevada in a week and a half. And we are all about our goals include supporting women, uplifting women, helping them if they want to get into the business, if they're currently in the business, helping the education component. We do awards and scholarships. And yes, we are woman-led and run. And But we do have males that support us and males that come to our events, and we encourage that. And my other brand that I actually launched this year is called Legally Blonde and Blunt. So it's all those girly things that you cannot find in your local dispensary, including apparel, jewelry, and clothing, and pipes with glitter. I, I love the entrepreneurial spirit of this industry. Josh, I know you've been, you know, you've had a, a state that around you. And, um, and, and here's a, a great example, Nikki John here, um, who would be a great speaker, I think, just to share her experience with what she went through and how, and she, how she got it done. I, I, you know, it's funny. We're sitting here. We're championing entrepreneurial spirit. We all recognize that the future is in the hands of some people in Washington, D.C. right now that just don't have a clue on what the rest of the country wants to do. Colton, you're smiling. I'm going to go to you for this one first. Go ahead. They, yeah, well, who, who knows what's happening? Uh, yeah. there's, there's a lot hanging in the balance and a lot of unknowns. I, the one thing I think that, you know, we all have to plan around is that, is that, is that unknown. Um, and those things you cannot control the regulator likes to be on your license for six months or the rules that were all in the program that was supposed to launch uh, fall 2020 being nine months delayed uh, or yeah in Washington who who knows what's going on I um, I'm not holding my breath but you know it could also happen tomorrow <laughs> oh man yeah you know that would be a wonderful thing to wake up to but uh I, I just, uh, the reality has set in, you know, we're, we're from Massachusetts. We tend to be a little skeptical here, even though we were the ones who started this whole country. You know, we had a big party. You might've heard of it. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, and actually Nikki is right near, I'm pretty sure where the Boston tea party took place. Am I right? Yep. Not too far. Fantastic. You know, that's, that's, you know, and I, my whole goal was to create um, media 
that would connect both coasts because the, the East Coast, Massachusetts being the first state to adult use legalized uh, cannabis, it still took them two years to get the first dispensary open. Now we're four years in and there's over 240 in this state. And there's all sorts of issues with that, too. And we covered a few of them in the first half hour of this show with uh, Blake Mensing and with Scott Winters from CNA stores. But there are so many other issues out there that the local little operator like the like the uh, like Nikki's company out in, in Charleston have to overcome. And it, it isn't easy doing business in this space, is it, Nikki? No. Yeah, there's a lot of hoops. There's a lot of regulations a lot of compliance. And as we start to get product in, we're seeing that even the largest operators still have compliance things they have to take care of. So it's not easy for anybody. And and Jeff, I want to come back to you and let you talk a little bit about Regenibus as the chief growth officer. Now, in the cannabis space, when you hear grow, you think the plant in the ground. This is not the growth that you're involved with. Am I right? Uh, it's that and more. Uh, we look at growth in in its entirety. Uh, it could be organizational growth, could be you know geographic expansion. Uh, it could, frankly, just be uh, something we do focus on is around brand and purpose centricity. So you know tying that back to performance around sustainability and then back to environmental social governance factors. So there's a, an awful lot of different areas of growth. Um, I think it's also fair to say that um, when we look at growth, we don't only look at economic growth. We look at social, social impact. We look at environmental impact. Um, you know, we have a very, um, a very specific approach. Uh, sometimes we refer to ourselves, even though we're a sort of a private equity firm as well. We have an investment arm. We're, uh, we like to call ourselves a venture multi-capital firm in the sense that the capital that we are looking to put into organizations is not only, of course, um, economic capital, but intellectual capital, manufacturing capital, things like, you know, we, we also have a software as a service platform called ESGXL that we embed into client organizations so they can grow their businesses, you know, in all dimensions but recognizing what their environmental social governance performance should be and how that translates into sustainability. Uh, and, and it really then enables those organizations. It, we offer it also to organizations that we don't invest in. Uh, it could be public, publicly listed entities. The idea here is that investors will increasingly look at those organizations as, as delivering not only an economic upside, but they're delivering a social impact as well as an environmental impact, which is just as important. You only have to ask the chap who's just given up his business from Patagonia to understand where this could all go. Right. And actually, you mentioned uh, environmental. Um, you know, there's a couple of notes that I see in the news wires as I read them um, every week. Uh, there was a bunch of Politicians, let's not go with one side or the other. Politicians are going to throw them all under the bus, basically, because they just look to cause trouble instead of representing the people that put them there. And it drives me nuts in so many ways. Um, and it's frustrating for those businesses that are, you know, the margins in the cannabis space, I don't care what part you're in, they're still pretty small, right? They're, they're, 
there's nothing easy about being in the cannabis business. They don't make it easy to start. They don't make it easy to, to sustain. They don't make it easy to survive. And yet the passion that I continue to see uh, drives the entrepreneur. It really does. And adapting and improvising. Colton, I'm going to let you uh, talk a little bit about the importance of adapting and improvising in an always changing environment and um, social structure that we have here uh, with cannabis. You, you know, um, I spent the first half of my career in more traditional supply chain world. Uh, and it's not surprising that a lot of people that come from that world and jump in with a really good pedigree have a hard time surviving. Uh, because this space is like much more dynamic, uh, than, you know, than I think would be, be reasonable for people to deal with. Uh, but because we put up with a lot to make it all work. Um, and, uh, some of us just happy to be here. Uh, we say, sure, we can handle that. We can, we can retool our entire business in, uh, uh, overnight. That's no problem. Uh, we've already done it four or five times and, um, you know, and we just kind of have to do it, but you, you have to be agile. You have to be able to like plug and play, you have to be able to, you know, like from packaging to labeling to, new quantity limits to, oh, suddenly the store layout doesn't meet this inspector's expectation and like, well, knock out a wall, put in a new wall. Um, you know, like it's, I mean, everyone on this call has been, been through it. It's like, actually, it's just mind boggling. We, we work in like about 17 states across the country. So we, we see it all like, for, you know, for the last five years, like just the things that people get thrown at them. Um, it's incredible. Uh, uh, but it's, it, you know, we keep fighting. That's right. Mickey, what's the biggest thing that was thrown at you? <laughs> Rejection, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, but like, I think it coming from sales, coming from just like my parents telling me you can do anything. I was like, okay, I'll survive it. But you definitely feel it. Like, you know, nobody likes being told no, but if you can just remember, like figure out your why or like know how you can like overcome whatever it is, you just stick with it. <laughs> Brooke, um, women in cannabis, we, we've talked about this subject many, many times on this show. And, and you know, there has been in the beginning of the in the beginning of cannabis, uh, there was a lot more influence by females at the sea level. We have seen that disappear. Are we ever going to see it come back? I know you'd yeah. like to see that. I would love to see that. And I think that we will once organizations want to pay females what they desire and if females, you know, they, they left these businesses because they were not getting paid as equal as our male counterparts, and they were wearing 20 different hats. And, you know, at the end of the day, they said, why am I doing all this work? If I'm not the owner, like, I, why am I doing that? And so I believe that we will. Uh, the other way that we can accomplish this goal is that these women having their own businesses. But with that being said, as everybody has mentioned here, the many, many challenges, I got into the space to have a cannabis testing lab that I still don't have because of state regulations in my own state of Nevada. And Jimmy, you also touched on something else about having too many dispensaries in Massachusetts or what are some of the complicated issues that we see. You know, we're hearing a lot now of inclusion and social equity, and that sounds real sexy and great, and the politicians are selling that. But what they're not doing is they're setting all these businesses up for failure. And so women have to be cognitive of this as well. Um, I've been watching this and I work with women every day, all day. And there's a woman that I work with out of Long Beach. And so 
Originally, the social equity fund was supposed to be 500,000 for each person that got a license. And then they knocked it down to 100,000. Now she's opening a cannabis testing lab down there. She needs $2.5 million. And she speaks her voice at these meetings. But I think the bottom line is that we have to hold the politicians accountable. We have to hold our communities accountable. And we have to stand up and say, like the women have done, and this is why we saw them leave this week, we have to say, I am valued at this amount. This is my price. You either hire me or you don't. Or we have to say, I will go then create my own company and have all the headaches with it and make the money that I want to make versus working for somebody else. And Josh, I'm going to bring you in here and I'm going to mention a comment uh, in the chat room from Penny Hartz. He's a great point. Mike Tyson got to market in Illinois before any of the supposed social equity were supposed to help there. Illinois has been a big mess. Josh, I know you have some insight on that too. I, you know, I saw that he didn't get into Ottawa, but I thought that no um, celebrity could get into Canada. So it's kind of like they're they're trying to use um, his fame to get in where they can. And it's obviously working. Bureaucrats don't care, especially in Illinois. I don't think anybody's looking at Illinois as a um, uh, example uh, of a democracy. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was I wasn't going to go there, but um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's, it's no surprise that that he would have the influence and the cash and the resources to get in before anybody else. It's it's unfortunate. But I would like to throw something else at Nikki because I have talked to a few, uh, a couple in Illinois, as a matter of fact, and some from the East Coast that are um, social equity applicants that are still having a hard time. And I had no idea when I was being approached to be on the board, folks were like, we need a white guy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, we can only get so far. And I was like, I don't understand. Can you help me? Nikki, can you help us understand? Do you, do you feel that? Have you seen it? Have you heard it? Is it, is it real? It's a hundred percent real. And I um, think that they're making the right choice by looking for that because you need someone whose voice can be heard. Um, and it's like, when you speak up and like people tell you, you sound angry um I had a contractor tell me I was angry for asking him to do a job I had already paid for that would never happen if I was a white man so you have to have the right people in place to manage the job sites that you don't have to have those conversations and that so that it's more effective and in Boston I'm the first Boston equity applicant to open multiple equity applicants were approved months before I was approved but they didn't have any help and so these equity programs aren't working I make an effort to cc all of the emails about any difficulties I'm having with the city's equity program so that even if they don't help me now that they can start to take a look at the problems that are going on um, being proactive a lot of people getting into these spaces don't have business experience I went to school for finance I've been in real estate for 10 years so I'm not starting at the same place some of these people who are in the equity program are and so they need someone who can bring that corporate or business expertise or have those conversations more fluidly Right. And, and, and now I've got two guys from California here that I want to get it, um, get some feedback from on this. People in this space now, you either know cannabis or you know business. Very rare are we finding the cannabis business person. It's evolving, so it takes time. Um, is that accurate in California too, Colton and Jeff? Uh, well, uh, Jeff has already got a face on, so I'll go with Jeff first. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know that... Um... I, I I don't know that I could speak for for all of California. I mean, my what I see is a 
a slow but steady growing up, if you like, of, to use the crow word again, uh, you started something. Um, I, I think we're seeing the industry grow up um, because there's an ever-increasing pressure placed on business owners uh, to, to, to behave uh, more appropriately rather than just looking. I mean, you know, if you think of your own show called The Green Rush, we have to move beyond seeing the opportunity that this is a green rush. There's an awful lot more at stake here. And when we at Regenibus, we don't only focus on a state. We don't even focus only on the states. We look at it, this holistically and we look at all countries around the world. We're aligned to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We see this as a, as a movement around, let's say, you know, uh, of the plant, by the plant, for the plant. And, and we think we have an incredible opportunity with cannabis in whether it's recreational, medical, or in the industrial space to really change the way humanity interacts with the planet. And, and so, uh, you know, I see a little bit of growing up happening, whether that's only in California. No, I see it happening elsewhere. I certainly see it happening in, in, in Europe. And increasingly, we see it in Latin America, and we're heartened by that. Um, but I don't know if I'm sort of best positioned to sort of speak whether or not um, specific in specific parts of the industry in, in California are, are growing up. I know they're feeling a tremendous amount of pain. Um, California isn't exactly a, a straw person for us, you know, it's a, for the industry. It's a completely different planet, first of all. Every time yeah, I've for sure. the same thing, this is not like any other state in America. And, it, and by the way, that could be a draw. That can be a good thing. I'm not saying that's a negative thing. Colton, I got to get your feedback on this. Yeah. Go ahead. It's also 39 million of us here. So, right. uh, <laughs> so blanket statements don't apply, but right. uh, very aligned with what you guys are working on, Jeff. I think that's probably why why I'm in this industry is is to is the transformational changes happening you know around it and I will say that you know some of the smartest hardest working business-minded folks I've met come from you know legacy cannabis operations where they figured out how to do a lot and a lot that a lot of us appreciated for decades uh with a lot of a lot at risk um so I don't know it's uh and you had I don't know that it's like I don't know that's either or. Um, there's a there there. I mean, you know, you see how much people can do with with the resources and the lack of resources that they've traditionally had. It sometimes does become like a, a burden or a, a stumbling point because, um, you know, if you're so used to just doing it all yourself, you you're like, oh, we actually do have vendors now that actually can take this off your load, and you can focus on running the business. And, um, you know, and there is a whole level, another level of uh, things you have to, to run through nowadays to, to be, to be mindful, like, you know, the tax issue, it's the hugest thing. I mean, that's the, talked about margins. I mean, the margins can be great, but <laughs> doesn't matter if you have great margins, if uh, all of your money is going to the federal government, um, you know, like, and you can't deduct any of the things that you, you'd expect to deduct from running the business, like you it's not just about margins, it's about, it's like a whole life cycle of tax planning that informs every little piece of your business. And you have to have these systems and processes in place, or you can wake up thinking you made a bunch of money and not have, not have anything left. I know how that feels. <laughs> Wanda Brands just had to leave California. I don't know if you guys right. saw that, but they have yeah. a $300 million uh, plan from Canopy, I think, to purchase them. So if they can't make it in California, is that making you guys a little bit stressed out? I, I you know, I got 
folks in California clients that are still investing and growing and expanding their business and making great money, right? But they know the market. They run really tight operations. They have great people, including some great women. Actually, some of the best operators we work with have women in key positions across across the organization. And uh, you know, one of one of our head um, implementation folks was a client before joining us, and she's like phenomenal on the manufacturing side, on the level of detail and organization and whipping everybody into shape um, because it uh, it's there. But, I, you know, it's all doom and gloom in the headlines. Like, I, I live here in Venice, right? You know, and you saw on Fox News all last summer. Oh, my God, my dad's calling me. What, what's going on next door? All these homeless people. I'm like, dude, it's just like one little piece of the street, right? Everyone loves to hate on California. But at the end of the day, there's so much wealth and opportunity and, like, good business happening that it's just shaking it out, you know? And if you can't make it, it's probably just because you don't know the market and you're not running a good business. Um, no, not, don't tell that to the farmers up North who are, are being screwed because they can't get to market. But um, for mid-market, like manufacturing distro, it's just, it's just about, you know, watching your pennies. I gotta, I gotta go right around the group here. And I wanna ask each one of you, um, are you confident that the federal government is going to do anything right in as far as cannabis goes. Because if you look at everybody smiling, uh, if you look at every state's own little entity, right? Because after all, you have 19 states, everybody has different rules, and, and then you get 38 or 39 decriminalized states. How there's so many different issues that this plant and this industry are involved with. The, the size of a regulatory group looking overseeing this this like do we have one in place do you guys believe that the dea or the uh, agricultural group or the uh, liquor group could actually just roll right over and, and and do cannabis there's so many different things are we confident at all and what would be the simplest little step and I, I'm, you know where I'm going with this. It has to be the banking thing. Is there that little step? We can't even, the, the industry can't even get that across into the Senate debate world, let alone getting it voted on. Are we confident? Josh, I'm going to start with you just because you're alongside. Are you confident at all that anything's going to happen at the federal level in the, before the end of the year? Let's just make it that far. Zero no. percent chance, Jimmy. Zero. Everybody's shaking. No way, right? No way. Well, Jeff, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, I. Your I, accent does me. Hang on a second. Your accent tells me something before you speak. Okay, no disrespect. I'm profiling you here. I admit it. Okay, um, but go ahead. Go ahead. Um, well, as you've picked up on the accent, uh, yes. look, <laughs> this is not the United States of America. This is the disunited state of America. The fact that we have so many states pushing for legalization at a state level, and yet federal government continues to sit on its hands, is it beggars belief, frankly. There are a number of acts going through, whether it's the CAO Act, the Moore Act, the SRA, all these various laws that are looking to be passed, where they're discussing whether or not we should legalize and or decriminalize cannabis. It, 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 it's frankly amazing that there are so many, and that doesn't help. 
because of course it means that any persons who are looking at passing these laws can say oh yeah but this doesn't have this and this one has this and i'm not even sure that that level of of discourse goes on by the way but that's by the by you're right that either the safe banking act or the climb act the capital lending and investment in marijuana businesses act which is co-sponsored by a democrat and a republican uh, troy carter out of, out of um louisiana and guy hexenthaler out of pennsylvania actually that in the context of this broader discussion around social equity is is the one that we would really hope and pin our uh, pin our monies on passing because frankly not only would it enable uh, a greater liquidity in the in the cap in the cannabis space because of investors it would also secondly afford those state legal businesses to list in the united states which also brings increased liquidity but the the best thing that could happen is that what it really means when the climb act passes is that whatever laws you have at a state level that enables small businesses to grow then those same same uh, rights, those same programs would have to be available. So the SBA would, would be called in to create then a, a more of a level playing field for social equity players. Because Nikki will tell you, and I'm, and I've, I'm very familiar with the story, which is a fantastic story. But you know, even once you get your license, there's no guarantee because frankly, you still don't have real access to capital over a long period of time in order to to really get your business going because a business doesn't happen overnight it requires a good couple of years of a runway and that couple of years requires capital and that's the, that's the challenge that we have and so you come back to 19 states that have legalized recreational cannabis and you see that not all of them have social equity programs in fact there is not any two states that have similar programs in place it's a whole goddamn mess and 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 so if i'm to be a betting man and i'm going to push and i'm going to call uh, folks in congress i would say let's let's push for the climax because i think it it stands to benefit more because i don't think that the the feds will legally um uh free up cannabis in the near term i i really don't but the other acts Climb and the Safe Banking Act don't require legalization and or decriminalization. And so let those two parties just have at it. Yeah. Um, Brooke, Brooke, so how do you, how do you, what's your reaction to that, Brooke? Go ahead. I, I agree with a lot of that. I think the other issue is as collaboratively as we all are here today, I think that all of us who are in leadership roles need to look at these people who are in office and challenge them. Get them out of office. They're not doing their job. They keep passing all these things. You know, the career politicians, up and out. You should be in one term, get out, you know, come in with passion. So we're missing the right people in office. Mm -hmm. I think we're five to 10 years away. And like Jeff said, you've got to have that money. And a lot of these businesses don't. And at the end of the day, the risk falls on the individual. The risk falls on the woman owner, the male owner. There's no bailout for us. We don't get a mortgage bailout or a bank bailout. So start calling out your senators, start calling them out in your state. These programs that they say they're putting together for social equity, call them out, let them know. Hey, you said you're giving 100,000. Did you know that a cannabis testing lab requires 2.5 million? Did you know that this agriculture facility needs $3 million? Like, what are you gonna do if those people can't make it because they're setting a lot of them up for failure? And especially with, you know, you can't write off all these different things on your taxes, what they're doing is creating a black market. 
And there's been some big name fallouts this year that have happened in the cannabis industry, such as Jay-Z's delivery system in California. He's a multi-million dollar celebrity that can't make it. Tyson made it in a different realm. But if you start seeing people like that who are pulling back, who are saying, I'm not going to put my money here. I'm not, it's not a viable, we don't even know what the profit margins are. We can't even say it's two or 3% or 5%. That, these are all things that need to be open-ended and, and discussed. And, you know, I, I made it an executive decision this year. I ran for office. I ran for school board. And there was a PAC group behind talking, oh, she has a cannabis business. And I'm like, and it's legal in my state. Do you have a problem with it? Come at me and see what happens. So we've got to fight back. And I think that federally, we are a decade away. I don't think we're anywhere close to getting any of this hammered out for another decade. Well, it'll certainly lend itself for talk shows like this um, for 10 years. Can I just just add one other thing? And again, just come back to the, the, the U.S. and then beyond. Of course, we all know that the, the way the U.S. works uh, is, let's call it U.S. Inc., it's all driven by money, right? Sally Bowles was right. Money makes the world go around, right? She can sing it as often as she wants in cabaret. And that's why I think the Climb Act and Safe Banking Act will see the shift. But the other thing that will happen that will probably get people's heads banged together is when a country like Germany comes online legally and then other countries the size of Germany start following, the, the, the MSOs and the players, and as well as investors in the United States, won't sit idly by and let that happen. They'll want a slice of that action. And, and you could argue that actually that's another thing that, that would perhaps push parties to come together because they could miss out on some significant upside as the as legalization of cannabis and the normalization of cannabis gathers pace around the world and more and more nations begin to move in that direction. So that, that I think is another caveat worth just bearing in mind. We need all every factor possible. Colton, what's your feeling? The short answer is uh, I don't have a lot of faith that decision is going to be made in any sort of reasonable amount of timeline. But you know, we're, there's some existential questions like that are I think you know our legislature has to to face. Right? Do they believe that this plant is a plant that should just be accessible um, to everybody? Regulate like tobacco or like alcohol, you know, with some level of age protection, but nowhere close to the tagging and traceability and blah, blah, blah that we have today. And if they believe that, you know, um, and they want to legalize it federally, uh, which means legalizing interstate commerce and legalizing possession and legalizing home grow and legal, legalizing the plant, truly, that is not exactly aligned with like the biggest, it's maybe aligned with the biggest economic aggregate economic impact, the small businesses in this country, but it's definitely not aligned with the biggest companies in this space whose defend whose you know competitive advantage are generally um, you know limited license modes, right? And so and so like in California, we I think when when legalization and rec was originally passed, there was limits on canopy size. And it was like the first thing that got undercut, right? Which is driving every small business, all the small businesses, all the small farms, all the legacy farmers, the, the small percentage that actually said, you know what, I'm going to take the leap and I'm going to go legal and I'm going to do the right thing. And they're all going out of business because we're not giving them access to the market. And guess what? Everyone in this country wants that product. They want that product. Uh, but they can't get it. 
Um, and so if we're really serious about, you know, legalization, then, you know, we should be serious about like full unequivocal legalization. And we should know as, a, as if you're a public stockholder, a uh, shareholder, like that I'll, I would say, I, I don't, it's always hard to put a hard number on it, but 80% of those companies could just go out of business um, because they're just nowhere equipped to survive on a national distribution, you know, it, even if it was like a 90 day lead time on it. Um, and, and so I think that's why we'll see inaction, right? Because enough money is being made in the right spots that we can settle for a better way to put it in the bank. But are we really, really going to get what we really want, which is like full, real, actual legalization and treat cannabis like a plant that doesn't kill people, unlike alcohol? Right. <laughs> yeah. no, no, it, I got to tell you. I, and I, cigarettes. I, I talk about that. I teach at the college level locally here in Boston area. And I talk about the dangers of alcohol every single year on a campus in America, a kid gets alcohol poisoning and dies. Okay. And by the way, underage, which is another beef of mine. I, I grew up when it was 18. I think I learned long before my parents knew what the hell was going on, right? What, how to use these products responsibly. That's the key. And that comes from education. Nikki, yep. despite all this, you just opened your doors. Are you confident you're going to make it? <laughs> uh, well, the week before we opened, I wanted to quit. I like to say that to just share that like, it changes day to day. Um, yep. But I do think we'll make it somehow. And I don't think legalization is like great for me. Um, pretty similar to what Colton said. It's really bad for the small businesses. Once you see big tobacco, big alcohol, big pharma, that is a really bad sign. Like any sign of that, and I need to prepare to exit. Um, but I don't know how quickly that will happen, um, how organized the federal government will be in terms of bringing on the right people to legalize this. You've seen even on a city, town, state level, they can't pick the right people. So I don't see that happening bigger and I'm not too afraid of it, but I'm naive and that's how I got here. <laughs> so. I want to say that legalization is going to be good for small business. Actually, it's the best thing that could save every small business in this space is federal legalization because big business can't move at the same pace mm -hmm. that we can move in cannabis. Traditional business can't. And big business and cannabis cannot move at the same pace as small business. And people want to visit their local shop. Like you look at, there's, you know, I live in Venice, 90% approval of weed, right? I have to walk a mile to get to the dispensary and I have to walk by four places I can buy liquor. All four of those places I can buy liquor are owned by small, there's all small businesses owned by local people. Those are, you know, like, and, and that is access and that is equity. And all four of those businesses are owned by, I don't, I don't know everyone, but I know the people that run a couple of those and they're, they're minority owned, um, you know, small businesses. Uh, and that, that is the ticket to making this work. America's built on small business and this, and people want to buy, you know, from their local shop and make their cool edibles and make their cool carts and make the, 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 you know, craft beers, the Renaissance that's happened in the last 10 years here. And like, and I actually think that if we don't do something on the federal legal legalization, the only people that will be able to survive in cannabis are the people that can raise money on the public markets through press releases and burn cash to wait it out. Because that's what's happening right now in every mature market. I'll, I'll tell you why you guys are both right. 
Nikki's right because she has to build her business up to be acquired and Colton's right because they are slow and bloated. So I was just in New York for a financial innovation conference and I, I do interviews with Seeking Alpha, a financial um, news site. And I talk to publicly traded CEOs all the time. And I ask them that very question, like, aren't you worried about like big corporations coming in? And then the response is always the same, no. And I'll tell you what, uh, a, a little, a letter, um, you know, that, that I wrote uh earlier about that same thing about credit unions in my experience out in New York, when I said that credit unions that I spoke to seem slow to respond or react to the advances within the financial tech space, making it an interesting conundrum during the pivotal time when deep financial uh, regulations could sweep across the US financial system, wipe out a lot of irrelevant financial institutions. So you would think credit unions would be more inclined to adopt technology, but they're just as slow and bloated as big commercial banks. That was my feedback response to them. And that's why cannabis won't uh, be missed out. If you have a brand worth buying, you will be bought out. If your ego is too far in the way and you don't see an exit strategy, then you will be a Larry's Handy Mart in a world of 7-Elevens. Oh, can I add to that, Josh? Because I just love everything you just said. Um, I had written down some notes, and one of the things is you have to learn to exit the business before the business exits you. And the Perfect. other thing in this industry and, and why I started the expo was because I don't have my cannabis testing lab, and I had launched two brands at the same time. But you got to be able to diversify within this industry as well. And you got to look for the niche mar markets that are missing. And that's why we then created Legally Blonde and Blunt. They're not catering to the businesswoman. They're not giving me the blingy things that I want when I want to consume my cannabis. So Colton, you're also right. There are brands out there that will survive because people still want those things. And the other thing is two things. Jimmy, you mentioned alcohol, and that is so, you know, we don't educate the children on alcohol and we yeah. need education for all of it. But what's interesting is consumption lounge licenses are opening up here in Nevada. And what they are requiring for them is that you have to have a ride system, Uber, kind of connection. You don't have that at bars. You don't have right. that at casinos where the right. bars are and people, you're not like checking them before they walk out the door. So it's so backwards. And lastly, the one thing that I think is also hindering us is that we still have not gone through prison reform and we still right. have people in states where it's legal where they're still right. locked up. And if we can't get those people out and get them out and, and get them into viable businesses or working I mean, it's, it's like this double-edged sword. So I agree with what everybody's saying, but that's the notes that I wanted to leave on. I think that's, I think that's great. And, and I got to tell you, guys, this was supposed to be a half-hour panel, I just want to say. And I let it go because it was so great. And I love talk shows where I don't have to be the one that's talking, okay? That's the best part. And by the way, both of my ex-wives think the same thing, all right? So there you go. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. Uh, uh, this has been great. I mean, we have about, uh, usually we take a break at the half hour mark, but I just let it go. And I've been texting my staff and I, I just let it go. Um, but I really enjoy talking. Every one of you has a different perspective and a different thing to add to the conversation, which I thought was great. And, and Nikki, I'm telling you, I'm coming to visit you. I swear. Okay. I can't wait. You don't even know this, but we're going to start a show. I'm hoping called the bud crawl which will be very similar to a very successful uh, brand in the Boston area called the Phantom Gourmet. Are you familiar with the Phantom Gourmet? It's a restaurant review. Yes. 
run by the legendary Andelman family. The, the father was the, the king of sports talk when I was growing up, which was in the 60s and 70s. Yes, I turned 65 two weeks ago. Okay. And I'm always the oldest guy at these trade shows. I just want to say for the most <laughs> part, for the most part. But now it, it's a it's a new world. You know, um, Jeff, you were going, you were talking a little bit about the plant's role in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to send you, I, I think I have your, I'd love to get all, uh, Brooke, I know I have your email. Josh, I talk to you all the time. Nikki, I want to make sure I get yours, Colton and Jeff too. I want to send you the logo that I created three years ago because I buy into exactly what you're saying. There are so many ways for this plant to impact the world. So I took a giant cannabis leaf and wrapped it around the earth. And that is my logo for my saying that I end every show with, which is it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly because I believe in that. I really do. Yep. You know, it was, it was, and I'm going to throw it out here again. Um, Steve D'Angelo's book, The Cannabis Manifesto. When I, when I read that, I'm reading it and I'm like, I, I could have written this. This is exactly the role the plant has played in my life. I've got chronic arthritis, guys. I was an athlete once and I've got metal parts and I'm going to lose my right hip next. I have a spine that's d- deteriorating. It's pathetic. And I'm at, now you know why I have two ex-wives. I just sit around. I complain all the time, right? Because I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Either I'm pain or I'm on high, you know, whatever. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is we in the industry continue to have to share our passion with those who perhaps don't understand why we're so passionate about this. Aaron Smith, the executive director of the NCIA, I was at an event with him in Albany about, um, I don't even know, three months ago, whatever it was. And he, he made a great point. Whenever we can talk to people about this, Brooke, you said you, wrote, you uh, ran for school committee and people were like, well, you're in the cannabis business. You know, fuck you. You know, that's what I would say to these people. You know what? I'll tell you. So qualified to can't comment. Right. Because Nevada, we're a rec state and medical state, so they weren't publicly doing it, but they were doing it behind the scenes, and they were they were pissed off. They were mad. I jumped in right before. I didn't tell anybody I was going to run, and I was giving these people a run for their money, and they were like, "Where did she come from?" You know. And so I just called them out on everything, and I called bullshit. And it's like, go ahead, come at me. Go ahead, run an ad about me having a cannabis business, and I'm going to earn twenty thousand more votes. So go ahead and do that. Unfortunately, yeah. I missed winning the primary by 104 votes. So my, I was so close, but that tells me that I was so close that I do plan on running again. And Good. I will gladly share all my brands in the cannabis industry. And I will gladly talk about how children right. have to be educated. I'm a single mom of two boys, 12 and three years old. I would much prefer that my 12 year old, when he's old enough, if he wants to consume cannabis, you know, right. I have a missing section of my colon. I almost died. It's keeping me alive at this point, I would much rather my son use cannabis and alcohol. And mm-hmm. we've had these discussions all the time because he used to say, Mom, there's a weed business. And I said, you sound uneducated, say cannabis. I'm not going to have you saying that around your friends. It's inappropriate. But yes, I gave them a run for their money and I plan on fully doing it again. That's great. And it is education. And I go back to something I, I talk about a lot. Um, there's a reason why Europe has less alcoholics than the United States of America. Mm-hmm. 
They introduce it at an early age and they educate their children about the dangers and how to use it responsibly. The same thing needs to happen in this country. The same, and I'm talking not for alcohol, by the way, I'm talking about cannabis here, all right? And I actually believe that we should lower the age to 18. I really do. That way, at least the kids in college, right, will at least have had some education before they get there. Because otherwise, they're just, you know, they're doing, they're just doing crazy things, you know, and uh, anyway, you don't want to get me on my high horse about the uh, 18 year old (laughs) draft. I want, you know, you know, Israel, you've heard of Israel, right? The Jewish state, I just want to say, two years, you turn 18, you give the country two years of your time, no choice. We've given a generation too many choices. Too many choices. We and timeouts don't work, guys. Okay, they took corporal punishment away from parents. Okay, and now we've completely enabled and entitled an entire generation. But shouldn't you? I mean, everybody knows if you take a rubber band and you and you pull it back, it's going to fling forward. Every parent should know if you restrict your kid, it's going to be that much worse. So you should be letting your kids get into trouble and doing things on their own and learning from that experience. Holding them back just makes it worse, and every parent should know that. That's right. A- absolutely true. Look, guys, I've never um, gone this far without taking a break. And uh, <laughs> we're right up against the top of the hour. I'd like to get some final thoughts, quick final thoughts from everybody here. And then uh, a reminder that our new show follows this. I'm very proud of We Talk News. Josh is a correspondent. He's just one of about 10 correspondents that call in a report every week from their state, because my vision is to create an army of Josh Kincaid's that'll be documenting the end of prohibition in our country, no matter how long it takes. Okay, that's been my vision. I'm an educator by trade, I guess, more than anything else. But that that has to happen. Um, Josh, you get go ahead. You get to do the final thought. Go ahead. First, start it off. Final thoughts. I think sustainability is going to be a big thing. Recycled dube tubes, for example, are going to be huge. Um, I think angel investors are going to be uh, a help as kind of traditional finance is off to the side. Not even traditional finance, just regular venture capitalists are off on the sidelines. I think more angel investors will get involved. I think ESG is going to be a fad. I'm sorry, Jeff, but from the standpoint of, of, an, of mainstream investors, all they want is a return. When the return stops and the longest bull market in history ends, people will be looking for returns. And that means that the SIN stocks will go up and ESG will fall to the side. That's my prediction. And uh, I'm just going to leave the question of why do we get social equity right at the university, but not with the SBA programs in, in, in investing? Or in the banking system. Banks do not give loans to people of color for any reason and haven't. I never once in my career ever saw an SBA loan get approved. Why? I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. Let me know in the comments. Right. Absolutely. Brooke, go ahead. My final thoughts are, I know that we've touched on a lot of critical topics. Uh, I believe that we're going to see a lot more businesses that close down in the we're not recession-proof. Our industry is not recession-proof, and I think that we're headed into a big recession. And I would say if your passion and heart is where it is in the plant, keep pushing forward. If one thing isn't working, you got to learn how to pivot. Pivot is so critical in this business. I am so grateful for all of you. We have our next expo September 27th in Las Vegas, the day before MJ Impact. So please come and join us. We have 20 amazing women speakers. We have exhibitors. And we end our event with scholarships, awards, and a network mixer where everyone gets a little cocktail. They go outside and have a little smoke. And it's just a, an amazing thing. 
I'm grateful for each of you for being here and sharing everything that you guys are doing and what the challenges have been. And thank you everybody for your time. Great, Jeff, go ahead. Um, well, of course, I couldn't just sit idly by and say, I agree, Josh. Uh, of course, <laughs> I do not. Um, you know, I, we already know that um, there's a heightened regulatory activity that's creating more intense mandatory reporting requirements for businesses everywhere around ESG performance. And um, it's as critical now to an organization's success as profitability and financial performance. And if and that might not appear to be that way in the United States, but the Europeans have taken the lead on this. And if you're a cannabis company that has any aspiration of operating outside of these borders, then you will have to get familiar with your ESG performance because the Europeans will demand something called double materiality. I'll just leave it at that. It's coming, it's not a fad, pretty much guarantee that. Um, I do think though, uh, the other point is, you know, we held an event in May at the United Nations uh, called Regenerative Cannabis Live. We had 32 speakers, 21 of those speakers were women, uh, Jamie Pearson, Kim Rivers, Toy Hutchinson, uh, Bridget Hennessy, some of the great and the good from the cannabis industry were there speaking. Um, we fundamentally believe uh, we have 11 of our 19 advisory board members are women. Uh, we fundamentally believe that there needs to be a far more equitable approach, whether it's around gender or race, both in not only this industry, but frankly, any industry in the United States, because right. for 403 years, you could argue that there has been no social equity in any industry. And that's something that we just need to take a good, long, hard look at. And that's the opportunity that cannabis presents to us. It's not just, we, we don't see cannabis as the end game. Frankly, cannabis is the vehicle to uplift 7.8 billion lives if we get it right. And we just got to get out of our own way and, and make this happen. That's great. Jeff and Josh, I think you guys should get on. Jeff, you should have, Josh, you should have him on his, your show. <laughs> That'd be great. And Colton, I don't want to forget you. I want to give you an opportunity to have last thoughts. Go ahead. Hey, well, I say if you're in this industry, keep at it. If you want to be in this industry, there's still room for you. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity to just accelerate your career and define what this whole thing looks like. And, um, you know, we gotta, you gotta be investing in your business. Like, don't, don't take your eye off the ball because every decision matters right now. There's gonna be a lot of shakeout across a lot of markets. It's an incredible opportunity. Uh, I think I, I'm, I'm gonna be positive despite like the adversity in front of us. Um, there, there's still a lot, a lot of good things happening. So, uh, and obviously we're here to help. You know, uh, you can find us online, flourishsoftware.com. Uh, and uh, happy to be a sounding board on on anything and everything. Uh, so thank I you. For I love it. Thank you so much. It's great to meet you guys. And Nikki, you get the last word because you are in the trenches and you are a great example of the American spirit that is yeah. in cannabis. Go ahead. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having us. I think it was um, awesome to hear from all of you. You all have like some great perspectives and I don't get a lot of breaks to hear from other people in the industry. So this is really helpful. Um, like Colton said, anybody else out there, don't give up, stay super focused. This is gonna keep changing, but that's okay. And to Jeff, what you said, I think it's really important that we set an example for tech, even though that was a new space, no diversity, no equity was there. So if we can prove that we can do it in some capacity, Brooke, I know you're working on it, but if we can prove that we can do it, it will, it will happen in some capacity. So I love what you guys are up to and thank you so much for giving us a platform to share. 
Yeah, it was a great, absolutely. That's what I want to do. And now, you know, every Friday afternoon, we're here with a live talk show and we love interesting people to talk about this because there are so many fascinating elements of this industry that we're in. So for everybody on my staff, both of them, Isabel and Dan, I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.